So what do you want to talk about this week? I want to talk about unikernels. Unikernels? Unikernels. Are they mythical? <laughs> I was hoping you'd go for that. <laughs> hoping. You, I don't have no idea what that is. Oh, good. So, uh, I suspect a lot of kind of Apple devs don't, and it's kind of computer yeah. science-y, but also pretty. It's upcoming world, real world applicable. So hopefully, uh, this actually will matter in a few years. But for now, I'll kind of give you the down low on this cool stuff. Well, um, is that is that the idea that that like right now we've got the mic, the the mock kernel, and it's mm-hmm. not the mock kernel anymore. Whatever is new kernel, and then we've got a, a a BSD layer on top of that. It's just something. That combines those two more. Uh, essentially, it's no kernel, so it's kind of it's yeah. kind of kind of along the lines of the Singularity Microsoft OS deal, but it's uh, here and now and real. Oh, Singularity is definitely it's, it's coming along, but um, yeah. So uh, uh, there yeah. was uh, Anel Mod Have Petty and David J Scott wrote this uh, paper. I guess I don't know if it's a paper or it's a blog entry or something like that. So it feels kind of paperish. Uh, for ACMQ called Unikernels, Rise of the Virtual Library Operating System. And so when you look at how, I don't know if you have to set up very many like uh, like uh, Unix servers or something like that. Uh, nope, not at all. Yeah, so you're you're pretty fortunate in that you can kind of just focus on writing apps. But a lot of us have to write, a kind of, not write, but support, create and support uh, backend systems. And so, for example, you know, educatesshow.com is that how that's that's actually a VM running in VMware Fusion, and it's running Apache. And uh, we actually we're running Apache instead of Nginx just to support the .htaccess file, just so we can have short links. But um, <laughs> but anyway, that's which like, I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, I know you appreciate that. I'm I'm sure we'll get people writing in telling me there's some Nginx module that allows us to uh, supports htaccess, but eh, whatever. And but if you look at a lot of these, uh, like a lot of these VMs are kind of essentially like uh, basically single purpose appliances. So you have like an HTTP server, or you have a MySQL server, right. or mm-hmm. and so you have these like servers that are dedicated to one thing. But if you look at uh, the software stack, is that they all have their own copies of operating system, and they have all this uh, kind of uh, stuff in them that is really it's meant to support multiple users and multiple multiple things happening at the same time. And um, so there's there's a couple of ways around this. There's OS virtualization like VMware. So you have instead of a, a big metal box and it does one thing, uh, well it runs the operating system and can do many things. Is that you can put multiple operating systems at the same time. So that's VMware. Um, that's and that that helps with uh, resource saving and what's the, I think the technical term for it is server consolidation, where you can have instead of having five servers doing five things, you can have one server doing pretending to be five servers. Right. Although that actually is more complicated because now you've got an entire emulation layer just to help you make you know not have to have a whole box for oh, something sure, which sure. shouldn't yeah. take a whole box in the first place. So Absolutely. It, it it works, but it it in the end, yeah, it feels a bit like a hack. Yeah. It's well, it's. Is I wouldn't use the term emulation. It is virtualization, oh, and, right. and it's not not one processor pretending to be another or something because like that, that is really inefficient. But this is the stuff kind of is more like harder protection. I mean, you could basically say virtual memory, which we all accept today, is essentially the same type of stuff. And I'm sure, somebody says no. <laughs> and then there's uh, para virtualization, where it's kind of like you know, it's you have uh, to use a matrix analogy here. It's like you know, most people don't know they're in, in the matrix, but some people do. So uh, basically, if your operating system knows it's it's a person inside the matrix, like you can 
you can uh, do optimization things where you, your operating system doesn't have to do so much, or maybe it will tweak its scheduling algorithms or something like that. So NeoS? <laughs> I'm sure that name has already been taken. Um, and paraversalization, so uh, that's actually, I think, may, it's might be the most popular out there. That's because uh, the, the most popular product out there is called Zen, uh, X-E-N. And uh, that's, that's used by the likes of Amazon, AWS, uh, uh, Rackspace, and a lot of the big players, and also smaller players, because it is more resource efficient. It's the idea is that, yeah, you're running two versions, you're running two or more Linuxes simultaneously, but the one inside the, v, uh, inside the VM knows it's running in a VM, so it can actually defer some of it to the, higher, the one that's running lower. And then there's things like Docker, which is uh, basically kind of a trendy thing, to, kind of bolted on top of this fundamental technology called Linux containers, which you can think of as basically, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, change root or ch root, but it's a way to essentially kind of uh, cordon off part of your file system and uh, for a process. So you could, so actually, um, on the Mac, we have this as part of sandboxing. Then inside the libraries folder, you have the containers folder, and then you see like you know com.mycompany.surfwriter type um, folder there, and then you see like this kind of weird like mirror image of your file system. That's um, what how sandboxing works is that it, it says, okay, process, you can't see the real root of the of the of the file system anymore. That includes things like slash volumes and slash users. What you can see is inside this other directory, and that will be your new root. And so you can't theoretically jump out of that; you can't go up. Um, <clears throat> so it's uh, you, so you can think of Docker as basically namespace processes. And it it's a lot lighter weight than even Zen, and it's I think it, uh, Docker recently hit 1.0, and so I've been meaning to actually play around with it because I'm pretty excited about it, but um, I haven't had a chance yet. So it turns out that uh, we were talking about like the, the single purpose appliance type model here is that still running kind of like a whole generic operating system for what we want to do, and in the case of like HTTP, like serving files it's actually pretty simple i mean you need yeah you need tcp um you, you need need probably need a file system maybe not even that http support that's pretty pretty straightforward so there's this cool project that is referenced in that acmq article called mirage os and what it is is a statically compiled operating system so the idea is that you don't have processes per se uh you don't have like this uh mock style uh kernel underneath i don't have mock style this you know unix style um kind of kernel that's supervising everything is that uh, you don't have perhaps even address spaces you just have one address space and your program essentially is the kernel and you get things like uh context switching goes away because that's all your all your computer's doing um uh you also get actually more safety than what you have with the standard Unix model because uh, Mirage OS is actually written in OCaml, which is one of these crazy type-safe languages that's safer than C and probably a lot harder to compromise. Don't get me wrong. You obviously can make you know, mistakes with access control and stuff like that, but that's pretty cool. And so uh, this guy, Thomas Leonard, wrote a, a blog posting called My First Unikernel, where he talks about using Mirage OS as an HTTP server, where I think he's... He, um, I, yeah, I know, I know. He actually deployed it, and he did. He, and he wrote up experiences about it. Um, and the interesting thing is that because uh, Amazon and Rackspace stuff like that actually use Zen, um, Mirage OS, Mirage OS actually creates a 
a uh, a Zen compatible uh, image or whatever I want to call it that you can actually plug into it. So if you want to use this on your AWS server, you, can, you totally can. Um, unfortunately, it's rough around the edges. It's not as efficient as you might think because uh, currently Mirage OS is not what's known as a domain zero operating system. You still need basically full-blown Linux or FreeBSD or something like that to actually manage the resources. So uh, it has to run as a supervised one. And so you do actually get context switches and stuff like that. Um, and the performance in his experience was actually mediocre. And you can tell that Mirage OS is actually designed for high performance, but it's just, it's just like not there yet. Like it's it's pretty new, essentially a research project. Um, and also he has some interesting insight. Like and I'll quote from him: uh, buffers often have extra requirements. Ex, ex, uh, example given must be page aligned, single page, immutable, etc., which are now currently captured in the type system of OCaml. And this can lead to runtime errors, which would be ideally be detected at compile time. So you know, there's some, still some issues there. But in general, the idea of having kind of basically a program that runs on metal and probably not written in C is really appealing and I think is, I think is pretty much as far as you can get in terms of the cons- uh, server consolidation route uh, down the, that server consolidation road as you can. So that's, that's my topic. That's really it's really an interesting thing because when I think about it, you know what you're what you're saying is well we need a simpler operating system for one time tasks, right? But I mean, isn't that what tasks are for? Like, shouldn't you be able? It, it, it seems like well we can't make this a process on a larger OS because processes are not separated enough from the operating system to make that feasible. We really need it to be a separate box or separate whatever. But then what you're saying is, well, the separate box should be as simple as a task mm. would be. So it's really interesting where that's going to end up. And this is one way of making that work, right? The other way is 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 better sandboxing, right? I mean, in some way, it's all sandboxing. Right. But if you could really sandbox a process such that it would, you know, it really can't get in trouble doing anything else, then couldn't you have these single tasks, you know, again, running within a larger operating system instead of needing their own their own box for it. Yeah, I definitely get, you're right. There is kind of a hall of mirrors type effect going on here where you can look at things in two different ways and, and kind of scale them up, scale them down. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I see that. Well, but so what is, so seeing that, what's the benefit of doing it this way? Is this just a more realistic right. approach for now? Yeah, well, essentially it's, it's a matter of efficiency that if you can run your HTTP server on metal, um, and you will get performance gains. Um, at least theoretically, you will. I I'm, have pretty high hopes for this project. Oh, Camel already has been performance. Uh, it already has great performance characteristics. It often is in the class of winners when they have uh, programming competitions. So it's it's designed to go fast. It's one that when I have to say uh, languages faster than C, Camel is one of the lang- languages I often talk about. Um, yeah. So it's if if you if you have if you have big web serving needs. Uh, why are you wasting your time on Linux or FreeBSD? Is because that's doing a bunch of work and it's kind of standing in your way. When you should, you basically your program should be compiled to the metal. That's so funny because so for, for so long, it seemed like those OSs were the epitome of having you know a web server or a, a server of a backend server of mm-hmm. some sort. And now, no, no, they're they're bad. They're too heavy. <laughs> well, they still are. Like I said, this is still this is too bleeding edge to actually use, in my opinion. But right. uh, keep your heads up. 
a heads up for this. You know, it's 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 coming. I think it will be eventually will take over a certain uh, subset of the market. Cool. Yeah. So this week, I'd like to talk about access controls. Access controls. Yeah. So there's an article by Jared Sinclair mm-hmm. called "For Subclass Eyes Only." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swift UI gesture recognizer and the protected extension pattern. Mm. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And it's actually a fairly long article, although the real meat of it is that he has three new access controls he wants to add to Swift. And they are required, protected, and testable. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go into that, it might be worthwhile to spend a minute on what it has now. Because it didn't, it, did, have, it didn't yeah. have anything first. It, it didn't have anything. And then they added it. I don't remember exactly which beta anymore. Beta 5, maybe. They added three. They added, uh, <laughs> they added public, private, and internal. And so, in my mind, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to sort of think about why they did it quite that way. Because uh, in my mind, well, they needed to do private and they needed to do public. Those are pretty much necessary for mm-hmm. any language. So I think what was going through their head was, well, we've got one left to play with, and if we only have three, and I think they, I think it was probably pretty important to them that they don't have like you know twenty running around. They they, they wanted to keep it elegant and simple, but they still wanted to be a little different. They didn't want mm-hmm. to just do protected. Mm-hmm. So they said, well, what else can we do? Well, we can do internal, and so internal is both different than protected, although it is the same as package in Java, at least as far as what I remember. So. Um, so it's not that different, but it is a little different, which is actually the sweet spot for Apple. But it's also, uh, you know, they need internal for what they're doing mm. because they want it for their frameworks. Because now you can protect or you can put an access control on methods, which you couldn't do before mm-hmm. in Objective-C anyway. And so what they really, really want to do is make sure you can never, ever use their private methods, which right now, at least in Objective-C, they can't really stop at the, at the compile level, at the, at the linker level. Uh, so they have to you know, do things like have all these extra steps to, to check which methods you're calling when they verify your app for the app store or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this cuts all that dead. Nope, no more. Can't do that. But I would tend to agree with Jared that they really need to add protected back. And you can even see this in Apple's classes and Apple's Objective-C frameworks right now that there are no, I guess there aren't a lot of classes, but there are certainly some classes where there's a different header for subclasses than there is for, for other classes. Mm-hmm. Because they want to say, well, use these methods, but only use them if you're a subclass. Only import this header if you're a subclass, and then mm-hmm. use it. Then. So their own Cocoa frameworks need this sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I also think, uh, let's see, that they might have said, well, don't put protected in because we want to deprecate inheritance as a composition tool that they, they don't want you to inherit from, they don't want to have deep inheritance trees in order to have functionality added to your classes. Uh I'm pretty, I'm not positive, but I I suspect that that's another thing that they, that they wanted with this. But the trouble with that is again, they had to use the old frameworks because they didn't, they didn't wait to introduce this until they had new frameworks and the old frameworks use inheritance all over the place. You know, basically you can't make, you know, you, yeah. you can't run an application without inheriting, you know, inheriting from UI view controller. Yeah, or, and they would give us something like traits if we weren't supposed to use inheritance composition technique. Right. So it really doesn't make that much sense that they would take it out, mm-hmm. um, except for the sake, again, that they wanted, to, they wanted to keep it very, very bare to the metal. 
but uh, but you know they could use it, and certainly the rest of us could use it when we're when we're creating the APIs for our classes. So that one's kind of a gimme. I think I would actually also be surprised if they didn't add it before we ship, just because there's going to be a lot of requests for it. Mm -hmm. But the other two ones that Jared talks about are are more interesting because they're they're different. And so the first one is required, mm -hmm. which is also something that Apple's frameworks really need. There's a there's a bunch of methods where they say, well, you need to override this to do something, and if you don't, they've got an assert in there. Yeah. As that, a runtime. Have you seen the, the renouncing pattern? The renouncing pattern? No, I haven't seen the renouncing I pattern. I use this probably See, I I was maybe, maybe too much. I don't, I don't know. But it's, uh, if you look at, uh, it's definitely a documentation on NS object. And it's, um, it does not recognize selector. NS object does not. Yeah. So if you yes, NS object does not recognize selector, and so, and so this is the the thing that's sent. Um, so if you basically a message is sent to an instance that it doesn't recognize, um, this is the so the runtime says, oh, this instance actually doesn't doesn't recognize a selector. So instead of just like throwing exception immediately, what I'll do is I'll I'll send I'll say does not recognize selector to it. And this is uh, this is a, a kind of a universal universal escape hatch where you can do all sorts of fun thing. And Ruby in particular oh, right. does a bunch of stuff fun thing. But it turns out there's another way to use this: is that you can use this to renounce huh. a implementation. So um, if, yeah, so you, oh, so you can say I don't implement this, even though you do. Yeah, so you do implement it, but basically at the <laughs> the the method implementation is, and they have a little block quote here of code. It's just like self does not recognize selector underscore command, <laughs> and so this is a way of say, of basically passing it to the the standard system for for not handling a selector. So yes, you implement it, but you say uh uh no. This has the same behavior though, in that it's not a compile time check; it's still a runtime check. Yeah, it's a runtime thing. Yeah, okay. Oh, interesting, though. Um, yeah, if you have a link to it, I'd be interested in putting that in the show notes. The, the issue here is, I mean, prop, uh, properties protocols already have this capability, right? You can say, well, you need to implement this method. But that doesn't work if it's a, if it's a subclass, because if it's a, if it's a protocol, then the initial class has to implement it, and the initial class can't then say, well, even though I implement it in order to satisfy the protocol, we also need the subclass to implement it as well. So I think it could be very useful. Um, if Apple was willing to, to again, have a little bit more complexity, a more access controls in there. And, and I would use it mm -hmm. as well. But the third one is actually the most interesting, which is testable. Because mm -hmm. I have wanted this myself in my own code quite a bit, in that I will, I will often expose methods and expose properties or whatever, expose data from my class that I would not normally want other clients to be able to get to, simply so that I can... I can I can ensure that the data is there properly during my tests, and so I have a little section of, of classes, you know, test methods, do not call, mm -hmm. and it would be really cool to be able to say, you know, to, to be able to say, well, these are the testable, uh, uh, you know, access pattern, and so you, you, you know, you can't get to them if you're my regular clients for this thing, but it's interesting for me also how they would do it. Because you, what you need to do is you need to have you know sort of a compile level thing which somehow bubbles up to the linker and what you're linking against, uh -huh. and that seems that seems unusual, right? That doesn't seem like how things normally work because normally you know de uh, debug or release is based on a flag that's known to the compiler, uh -huh. 
Whereas you would, I mean, I guess you would need another flag which says, is this linking against, you know, the, the testing framework or is it not? And Apple has done this before. They, they did this with the, the uh, fast enumeration, not fast enumeration, no, the, um, uh, like the indexing oh, access, right? Okay. Where they said, we're going to give you, you know, uh, brackets around, you know, you know, one or around uh, keywords, uh, a keys to your dictionary. And so that's going to be a language level feature, but we're going to implement it by calling out to this method that's only implemented in the foundation level framework, which is several levels up from yep. their compiler. Uh-huh. So, you know, linking different levels of the, of the stack. Uh-huh. Now, in hindsight, I think they did that because they knew it was coming up in Swift and they said, well, you know, we want this in Objective-C to get people used to it, but we don't really care very much how we implement it. We don't care how much we screw up, you know, <laughs> separation of concerns. Because, you know, this is the old language anyway. Yeah. I suspect that's why they, did, they didn't do it. It's a beer. It. it has a few dents in it. Eh, what's another dent? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if they would do this. Uh, but I know that if they do do it, that they definitely could because they do own the whole stack. And they're not a... Um, they're not any sort of standard that needs to be, you know, co- externally coherent. Mm-hmm. They can do whatever they want, and I think it would. I think it would really help it. I know they're more interested in testing now than they used to be, and uh, and so I think again they they would need to sort of get over this idea that it needs to be very simple. But I would really like it, so I'm in favor of all three. <laughs> Wolf. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I haven't done enough Swift yet. <laughs> Most of the Swift I've written has been basically generated from from core data models via t- templates. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I haven't. And uh, yeah, so I guess I guess we probably haven't told the audience, but we have this new thing that uh, we have a basically a list of topics that we know ahead of time. So we're not supposedly surprising each other, but that actually requires time for you to look at the topic ahead of time. And so I have not read his blog posting yet. <laughs> so I so you just walking through it was all news to me. So I haven't sure. thought about it deeply yet. Yeah, no, it's uh, no worries. Um... I guess I have enough thoughts for both of us. So there you go. Um, opinionated, a very opinionated man. Uh, I am. Well, <laughs> and also I think what we're going to be doing with the topics is that since this is going to be shorter shows and less sort of upfront preparation, we'll probably come back to stuff more. Oh, I won't be surprised. Yeah. We won't. We won't just say, "Well, this is our Swift episode, and we're done." <laughs> we'll come back to different pieces of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure this will come up again. All right. So I guess that's it. So. Uh, if you folks can rate us on iTunes, I know I've never asked that before, but I'd like to see if you if you like the show, if you like the old format, if you like the new format, uh, please rate us, and uh, we'll see you next time.